0: For some of you, that was an exceedingly long, long time to wait and read through PowerPoint slides. And yet, in the arena of prayer, we're often called to wait and just wait. This morning, I have the privilege again of coming before you and bringing to you a topic that is a favorite of mine in recent times. I've shared with you that I always feel somewhat not qualified to speak on the topic because it, it just feels awkward sometimes that it would seem that I would purport to, to know so much about prayer and yet as I've searched and searched and, and searched the topic out and looked at the scriptures over and over again, I come away feeling like I'm such, such at a deficit and, and not, it just doesn't seem like it. It's like almost like trying to drink from a a, a fire hydrant. You're thirsty but your lips feel like they may get torn off the moment you try to do it. And so this morning I want to come to you again and I want to talk about uh, this topic of prayer, uh, specifically from this one of our favorite prayers that we uh, call the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I want to remind you about something that happened early on in in scripture when Jesus was uh, talking to a woman that was at a a well and uh, his disciples had left him to go and get something to eat. And Jesus uh, encountered this woman uh, at the well and uh, she was a Samaritan woman and Jesus being a Jew, uh, the conversation ensued and you know it, the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans because of this, this is an ethnic racial thing that was going on. They, the Samaritans were considered uh, low-life people and and so Jesus and gets into this conversation with her, and, and I don't want to go to back through the whole story, but there's one part of this interesting, especially as it uh, concerns this topic. Uh, at one point, Jesus says to her, uh, go get your husband. And she says, I, I, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had five, and the one you're with now isn't yours. And, 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 and it wasn't like he was condemning her, but he was speaking truth to her. And immediately, as most of us would have done, she did the switch on the subject with him. She changed the subject because it was a little difficult to swallow that one. And so she started talking about worship. And she says, well, well your people worship over there and our people worship over here. And the subject changed. The t- topic changed. changed. And Jesus brought it to this place that I want to kind of use as a jumping off place now. He says, it's, it's not about worshiping over there or worshiping over there. It, it, that, that's, that's not what it's about. The Father really seeks true worshipers. And true worshipers are those that worship in spirit and in truth. That's who the Father is seeking. True worshipers. People that worship in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father, I come to you this morning again, and I thank you for this privilege to be able to stand before your people. I pray that I would not get in the way, that your word would go forth, and that we would be blessed. In the precious and exalted name of the crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Now, the subject of prayer is one of those subjects that immediately you'll feel a little guilt behind, oh, I don't pray enough, I don't pray enough. Oh, oh! He's, I'm going to feel bad about this message because already I know that I don't pray like I should. And so we all know that we're not where we should be in terms of prayer. Interesting thing, though, about prayer, I, I, if I were to compare it to something, it's kind of like this. God isn't expecting in this great and wonderful and masterful kind of prayer life that you would have before him. God, it's kind of like our children, when our, our little ones come to us with a picture that they've drawn and it's just a bunch of scribble or something, and they come to you and say, look, mommy, look, daddy, look what I, I it, there's no such thing as a bad picture from, a, from one of our loved ones. We, we, we kind of smile and we look at him and say, yeah, that's nice, honey. That's really good. Why? Because there's no such thing as a bad picture. Likewise with Jesus, when we go to our heavenly father. There's no such thing as a bad prayer. What God enjoys more than anything else, please hear this, is that we come to him. And we come to him just as we are. He's not expecting for us to have this profound theological knowledge and have all of our ducks lined up in terms of the right. He's simply asking us to come. And when we come, just as a child, when we come and we come in truth, God shows up. And he shows up in a way that just blows me away every single time. I'm, I never, I, I find myself just amazed at how simplistic it really is. Unfortunately, it took me a number of years to get this right. And I, to my discredit, I have to confess, I just got this right within the last couple of years or so. Where I really, really began to really, it, it began to resonate within me. That our Heavenly Father wants us to spend time with him. And that means that we've got to take the time and find that place for God. The challenge that we have, unfortunately, is that we're in a world where there's so much stuff going on. We're so busy. Our lives are racked with stuff. So how do we get around it? How do we, how do we fit God in some kind of way? It's a challenge. (coughs) And I would be the first one to tell you it's a challenge for me because we're busy. Out of our text today, and I'll read the text. You you know it pretty much. Uh, Luke has a version of it, and Matthew has a version of the Lord's Prayer. The only difference, it's basically the same prayer, but the only difference is that in... in, uh, Matthew's version is actually speaking to a Jewish community and Luke is speaking to Gentiles. And so there are some specific things. It's just the way that God does stuff. He, he, he'll speak the same message through different authors so that you'll get it and, and it'll meet those different needs as the Holy Spirit moved. And so Luke is going to speak it as though he's speaking it to, to he's a physician, he's going to be very detailed about, here, here there's no nonsense, here it is. Whereas Matthew is kind of like, well, he, he's got in mind some specific issues that the Jewish people have in mind. In fact, on Matthew's version, you have that little piece in there at the very end where, where we, we find that, uh, you know, you say, well, wait a minute. Where, where did that go? Where, where did that come from? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, we know now that that was something that was added on. That was not a original a part of the original text. It was kind of part of a song there, doxology, that the early church stuck on there. But essentially the prayer is the same. It happened that while Jesus was praying, chapter 11 of Dr. Luke's text, in a certain place after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. That is, John the Baptist had taught his disciples to pray. And this, Jesus' disciples are saying, do the same thing for us. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. That's it. Matthew goes on to add the other piece in there that give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts since we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to approach this from, from, from two, two places. I want to look at some, some basic stuff in terms of the lesson of prayer. And I'll go through that a little bit later. But I want to talk about some basic stuff because we're we're going to be moving into this direction as we move into 2013. And I'm so grateful and thankful for Pastor Doug that the Spirit has moved him to do this. Because I believe that if we're going to be successful in the coming year, if this church is going to grow and be a thriving church that is Spirit-filled and directed under the leadership of a new pastor as we move forward to carry out the mission of God, then we must be a people of prayer. It must be not second-hand, it must be firsthand that our house, that is Great Exchange Covenant Church, is a place of prayer. It is not an option. It is not something that we just tack on because it's something nice to do. It is something that we must do if we expect to be empowered to carry out God's mission. Churches that have not given this priority are churches that are floundering and they're barely making it. And what I'm suggesting to you is that as we move into this new year, take this really seriously, please. Again, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that, oh, we've got to do some major, major changing. You know your individual life. You know what you do with this whole topic of prayer. What I'm saying is if, 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 if everybody, say if you had out of a church of 200, if you had say, let's say if you had 75 people that were serious about prayer. 75 people that were serious about moving God's Moving in God's direction by the spirit of God, by connecting with God through prayer. That would be a church that could change some incredible things. When Jesus says that you're able to speak things like say to a mountain, be moved, be thrown into a sea. And it can be done. It's, it's so mind-boggling and far-fetched because we, we're in such a world of, of, of reality that we, we, we put that in the category of, no, that can't happen in the 21st century, not, not a great exchanges coming to church. And yet I believe when he says even greater things than these, if you simply believe, I believe that we can do great things. I really believe that Great Exchange Covenant Church is destined to do great things. But it won't happen unless we're people of prayer. There are three questions. Three key, three key questions that I want to propose this morning. Why should we pray? How should we pray? What should we expect from prayer? Why should we pray? The simple answer is Jesus did it. There's over 650 prayers recorded in the Bible. Jesus praying. So Jesus did. That's a good reason in itself. It is the way that we relate to God and we respond to life. You and I cannot make it in this world, in this world of chaos and confusion, unless we connect with our God of our faith, our belief. We can't make it apart from God. It amazes me at the number of people that try to make it in this world as Christians apart from God. It's an oxymoron. It's kind of like, wait a minute, you believe in God. How are you trying to make it apart from God? Are you trying to orchestrate your life and have God sitting on a shelf somewhere? I haven't called you. I don't need you yet. Stay right there. I'll handle this part. No, that's not going to work. There's a reason when he speaks in t- chapter 18, he says he was telling them a parable. At all times, at all ways, they should pray. Why? So that we don't lose hope. We don't lose heart and we just don't, we, we, we have hope. He knows, God knows that in this world, it's very easy to lose hope. I don't know about you, but there are times when I'm going along and everything is going fine and then all of a sudden the bottom drops out and you go, whoa, 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 what happened? There are times you want to bail out, you want to give up. I've been there, I know some of you have been there as well, I've talked to you, I know But what keeps us coming back? It's not not that we're the little ever ready guy that just said the battery just keeps running and we just, we just, no, no. Because eventually those batteries run out. It's because we have the spirit of God in us. And we know that our God is greater than any issue that we'll ever face in this life. And we are compelled, I say we are compelled to come to our God and bring everything before him. Do we have to have eloquence of speech? No. He wants us to come. Later on I'll tell you some things, some of the amazing things I've learned that it's okay to pray to God about. And I take everything to God. Some things I can't tell you that I take to God. But there are some things that you'd be shocked You say, you tell to God about that? Yes, I do. Because he knows anyway. So then what's the purpose, pastor? Why do you, why why even go to God if he already knows? Because he wants us to come to him. He wants us to maintain that relationship. It's a way of self-revelation. It shows whether we're not, whether we're truly dependent on God. So how should we Pray. Again, this topic today, you're going to hear more about it as we move into the series come next month. But I wanted to give you kind of a, as, as, as Susie said, a teaser. Just, just kind of whet your appetite a little bit. Let you know where we're going as a church. Our leadership, our staff, our pastor, Pastor Doug, is committed to this. I'm committed to this. The leadership team, we are committed to this subject. We want this to happen in our church. How should we pray? It should be as a spiritual discipline. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. How many of you have devoted yourselves to prayer? We devote ourselves to everything under the sun. I know people that are devoted to some of the strangest things, but you ask them, are you devoted to prayer? What? And it's not that they're devoted to bad things. It's just that the thing. Kind of like Martha and Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Mary is kind of like busy and Martha is busy and Mary is sitting there. And it's kind of like, oh, well, they're both good ladies and everything. But what's going on here? I need help here cleaning up there, Lord. You make her come and help me. Now oh, She's chosen the right thing. What you're doing is okay. But this is the right thing because she knows who I am. And so she's doing what's right, what's here. That's devotion. It's a personal discipline. Henry Nouwen suggests that we create space in which God can act. That's what we're doing. When we come to God in prayer, we're basically saying, shut out the whole world. We want to create that sacred space for God so that we can commune with our God. And you can do that in the Silicon Valley. How, Pastor? Well, how do you pull that off? You have to be very intentional about it. You know where I find my sacred place? You're going to laugh when I tell you this. There's a park that's been in my neighborhood for years. I've been walking over at that park for all, over 10 years. And my sacred place is when I get up early in the morning before anybody is hardly over there in that park. It's about three quarters, a little over three quarters of a mile around the track. And it's it's this hill, mountain-like little mountain. You kind of walk around. But my sacred place is when I'm walking around there and nobody is around. And it's just me and God. And I can tell him everything. If the trees and the bush and the rocks around that place could speak, they'd know all of my business. Because I say everything. I'm walking and I'm talking. God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to make this, God. But you see, you know. God, help me in my marriage. Help me with my adult children. Help me with the church, God. Help me lead. Help me be a good leader, God. You know what I need, God. And then it gets there'd be some juicy ones I'm not going to share with you. But you take to God everything. But you have to create that space, and you have to be intentional about it. There are times when I'm at work and there are people that will come to me and say, hey, can, we, can we, when we have some time for prayer? This is going on in my life. And we'll find a conference room that's empty. And let me tell you that many times, by the grace of God, I've been able to meet in that sacred place with people because I've been able to go to that sacred place by myself. Shut out the rest of the company and just go in there. Every now and then somebody will walk and open the door and see me and then close it back. But you have to be intentional about it. My heart's desire, Paul says, and my prayer to God is for them, is their salvation. It's a heart, a prayer from the heart. You have to have prayer that comes from the heart. Not eloquence, not intellectual prayer. Prayer but heart-driven prayer, prayer from the heart. Sometimes it's simply just a couple words, Lord, help. How many of you had done that before? Just, just a couple words, Lord, help. Because you, you couldn't go into all the stuff because it was just you just felt just so encumbered, so laden. And all you could say was, Lord, help. I was sharing with someone that uh, years ago when I was a kid, I remember when I was about 9, 10 years old, there'd be times when my mom was going through some difficult challenges. I've shared with many of you, so some of you probably may hear this for the first time, but I came up in a family that was very, very, very problematic in some place. And it was a blessing in, other, in other, other ways. But I had an alcoholic father who was physically, uh, uh, verbally abusive to mom and and all of that. And I remember, uh, I had forgotten this, but I remember that my sister and I were having a conversation years later, and we were talking about growing up. And she said to me, she says, Do you remember when all this stuff and craziness would be happening in the house? Do you remember going into the closet and praying? And I said, no, I don't remember that. And she said, used to do that. And then she started naming some specific incidents. And then it triggered a thought. I said, ah, I did do that. And when Dad was in his cycle of stuff, I'd retreat to the closet and close the door. And I'd be on my face at 10, 11 years old because I was the oldest of, of the kids. And we weren't really into church at that point, but something inside me said that that if I can just call on God, I didn't have all the theology right. I didn't know all the stuff. I hadn't even had my baptism yet. But I just knew that for some reason, I knew that there was something bigger than Dad, that my Father in Heaven was bigger than my earthly father, and I knew that I could trust him. And so I'd retreat in that closet. And I'd come out, and when I came out, I'd come out, it'd be, it'd just, it just felt different. Dad was still doing his thing, and, and Mom was still doing her thing, and things were still crazy, but I was in that place, that place of refuge. And then later on, as I began to read the scriptures, and I understood it, it things where God would say that he is a refuge, and then I'd smile, and then my sister mentioned that to me. I said, yes, that's right. He is my refuge. He is my sacred place. What should we expect from prayer? Carl Bart, in his uh, comment, that to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. There is a sense that when we go to God in prayer, the devil is angry. What? Oh yeah. Because the reason is because. The devil hates it. I mentioned this in my previous message. He hates it when the people of God call on God because he knows his end already. And he knows that there's certain power. There's power, incredible power that's available to those that name the name of Jesus. That's why Paul would write for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of strongholds. You and I, when we pray, we have the power. God has given us the power to tear down fortresses, tear down strongholds. Strongholds are areas where the enemy has come in and set up camp. It might be a stronghold of lust or a stronghold of, of, of gambling or a stronghold of, of working too much, working, workaholic, whatever that stronghold is in your life. God has given us the power to break it down. And how does that happen? It happens spiritually. Why? Because God has given us the power of prayer through prayer. We're able to intersect that in that situation and, and, and God moves. That's what makes a difference. In our prayer that I read, there are seven elements. I believe there are seven elements of Jesus' prayer. Acknowledgement, praise, submission, thanksgiving, confession, grace, and petition. So the prayer starts... With father. Why? I believe that as you look at this, it's interesting how as we get into the word and, and you, how the word kind of connects. It's all integrated, connected together in terms of thought. That's why only, only only God could have done this. When Moses is encountered, had encountered God. And God gives him a message to take to Pharaoh Moses asked a question that any of us would ask, given the power of the of the government or Pharaoh at that time. He says, "So, so, so, when I go to this God, to, to when I go to Pharaoh and, and he asks, uh, you know, who is who by what authority who's sending you here? Uh, what, what am I to say?" God says, "I am." Just tell him, I am sent you. Let me see if I got this right, Father, God. So I'm going to go to the person. This is recorded in Exodus. Go to the person, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. And I'm going to, when when, when he laughs in my face and, 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 and gets ready to take me out, I'm just simply going to say that I am. I am sent me. That's right. I am. It is the same I am. That later would be on the lips of Jesus when Jesus is talking to Peter and the disciples, and he says, "Who do men say that I am? What are they saying about me?" And they are all speculating. uh, Well, some say you're this, some say you're John the Baptist. We come back from the dead. Some say you're Elijah. Some say, but who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. The point I'm trying to make is that he uses deliberately the language I am. Ego in me, it means that I am who I am, I am who I am. There is no other name. God's name is so sacred, it is who he is. He is who he is. I am. So when we approach our heavenly father, we approach him with the name of acknowledgement we must personally and thoughtfully acknowledge that he is who he is that's our first step how would be your name the jews would say he is hashem the name that's all it's a tetragram they call it because deliberately they you don't say the name of god because it is so sacred people would die if you if you it would be borderline it would be blasphemy and so they deliberately when they were writing they would get to the name of god and they wouldn't even put it in there because you don't say god's name why because it is so sacred holy set apart it's to be honored, consecrated. It is a name that is set apart from every other name in heaven and earth. It is a name, the scriptures say, whereby demons tremble when they hear the name Jesus. It is a name that is to be honored. And so when we go to our God, we go keeping in mind that we're honoring his name. It is your kingdom come. What is that? It's a way of submission. When we say your kingdom come, it's like God, it's your will now. And so in our private prayers and our prayers, ultimately, our prayers in the most simple way should be, thy will be done. I've learned that just in the last year or so. I was getting all fancy prayers and trying to write, write stuff down and everything. And ultimately, God already knows. And ultimately, all I do now is I, I go through and I say, your Lord, you know. You know. You know, oh God, your will be done. You are sovereign. That means you rule over all the affairs of man. You know everything about. you even know that I was going to be in this location at this time saying these words. You already know. You knew my time and birth, you know my time and death. You already know. So what do I do with that? That will be done. Your will, Your will, O oh God. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a, it's a comment of thanksgiving. Do we possess that grateful heart, a thankful heart, or are we self-sufficient? Give us this day our daily bread. That's all we were promised. It conjures up the, uh, the children of Israel as they were g- going through the desert and the manna being given, manna just for that day enough, just for that day Don't get any more. Don't try to save it just for that day. That's the bread that God has given us. All of us, we should be saying to God, just for that day, this day is the day. Right now, with you sitting here, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in this day, right now. Tomorrow, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Some of you, all of us, we don't know if we're going to be here tomorrow. Now, there's a pretty good percentage-wise likelihood we will be here. But how dare we say, I will be here. No, you don't know that. Lord willing, you will be here. Years have taught me after I've watched and walked with life and visited people in hospitals and watched people die at hospitals and ministered to families that had lost ones, and, and, and it's taught me that life is precious. And would you have one day relish in it? because there's no guarantee the next day you're done. Something could happen. Something could change your whole life. I have a friend of mine whose son went to Iraq, like my son, unfortunately. My son came back by the grace of God, no harm. Her son went about the same time, same age as my son, and he was riding in a Humvee. That's right, you guessed it. Blown up. He lost a leg. The rest of his people riding with him were killed. I saw him coming back when he finally got out of the hospital. It took about seven months for him finally to get back to the States. And I remember I went to the to the, to the uh, airport, Karen and I, to, to, to meet him because she told us, this friend said, Oh, he's coming back. He's coming back today. Uh, and I said, oh, we'll, we'll come down there. We were thinking it's just us going to be there. We get there and we find out there's all these other people from her job and people from the press were there. And they were welcoming back veterans, people coming back from Iraq. And I remember just standing there waiting for him to come through and everybody's standing there waiting, flowers in hands. And Johnny steps out, and he's wearing shorts and he's got a prosthetic device here for his leg with a tennis shoe on it and he's standing tall and he walks there and he's smiling. Give us this day our daily bread. You don't know today is the day that you have. And forgive us our sins. This is the confessional part. Forgive us our sins I acknowledge my sin to you and my my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then Isaiah says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. If there's one thing, one thing, one thing that will get in the way of prayers. And if you're a husband, you need to hear this especially. Especially if you're a new husband. Or an old husband. Sin will block your prayers. Sin will block your prayers. Peter talks about husbands. Don't let your prayers be hindered. Sin will block your prayers. You try to get a prayer through to God. And you're laden with sin. Or you're playing with some secret sin. Let me tell you. It won't happen. Not in this lifetime. God is looking for a heart. That's clean. A heart that says, Here I am. Now, having said that, I'll say this God does not turn us away. And so he wants us to come with all our stuff. He wants us to come just as we are. But don't try to play games. Don't try to pretend like you don't have anything going on when he already knows. And so what I do in my own personal prayer life, I I tell God what he already knows about me, where I fall short, where I spoke, where I shouldn't have spoken, where I said maybe I thought something. I I put it out there. God, forgive me. Forgive me where my heart shifted a little bit in this area. You already know. I start off like that because I don't want anything to block with my petition to God. And lead us not into temptation, that's our petition. David said the same thing. Incline not my heart to any evil, you know, thing to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. So we know that God tempts no man. So this is not God. Do not tempt me. We already know that James says that God tempts no person. But this is a sense then that it must, it's a sense of permitting. God, do not permit me. Do not allow me to fall into a situation where I will be Devastated where I will fail. Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite theologians, German theologian and martyr, a day without prayer is a day without meaning or importance. Prayer is so key for us. I've just given you just a a, a wet, hopefully just wet your appetite a little bit. But I want you to think about this. I want you to reflect just for a moment on your own habit or lack of habit of prayer. Just for a moment, I want you to think about it. I don't know where you are I can barely keep up with where I am so I can't keep up with where you are but you know every single one of you sitting here you know. My prayer is that every heart beating right now everyone sitting here every adult responsible child of God would seriously reflect and think about What do I need to do so that in 2013 I'll get this right? What is it if it means just carving out five minutes while I'm on my way to work? That'll work. If it means simply pausing, getting up just 30 minutes earlier every day. Normally I get up at such and such time, but I'm going to get up at this time just so I can have some time with God. If it means finding a prayer group and joining that group so that I have some accountability there. But what is it? You know what you need to do.